Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. August of last year, um, I, I guess if I was being honest, I would go back and say on July uh, the 5th, it was July 4th weekend exactly a year ago that I preached a message to you called Excessive Celebration, identified five principalities that I'm going to tell you about again, and then I took a break, went on a sabbatical, came back and began to confront these uh, principalities uh, in August. And so it's taken us a year to get here. We, we've been actively trying to destroy and uproot these five principalities that I identified to us as our primary targets. Um, I've shown you, I think, I hope, uh, even to my own surprise how this works. I didn't really understand all the layers of this, but what I see now, um, hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess, I've shown you how these powers, they work hand in hand to leverage destruction and, and layer on control in our lives so that the destruction that they produce in us is not for a season, but is for long-term and has long-term implications, and it passes down generation to generation. And so it is absolutely essential that we destroy these principalities in our life. And so we began by t attacking isolation. Um, uh, we did a series, uh, these will show you the ones that stand out most in my mind. We did one called Civil Wars. We did one called Friends, trying to, uh, uh, and body functions, trying to attack the idea that we, can, we cannot do life alone, that we cannot deal in isolation. And then I pointed out that isolation leads to a poverty mentality because since we're alone, we don't know how to handle all the benefits and the resources that God gives us, and so we end up broke. And so out of isolation is produced a poverty mentality, which then births hopelessness. Because if you're alone and if you're broke, especially if you're broke and alone, it, it ends up producing in you a spirit of hopelessness where you don't think anything's ever going to change. And you give up and you throw in the towel and say, it's never going to be any different. I'm never going to overcome. I'm never going to be victorious. And so I become hopeless. And then lo and behold... Hopelessness germinates and it produces offspring and the offspring is apathy. Apathy takes over our lives and because we're alone and because we're broke and because we're hopeless, now we don't care about anybody else and we don't care about God. And we become apathetic in our relationship with each other and in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Well, Finally, what takes place, I believe that this is a pattern that is repeated over and over again. We're isolated, we're broke, we're hopeless, we're apathetic. And eventually, the end game, the final principality raises its ugly head. And out of all that is spawned compartmentalism. That is the last principality that I think that God revealed to me that we've got to deal with. And let me see if I can explain it to you. I, I think compartmentalism is pervasive in our society and it is apparent in the church. Um, our apathy about others and our apathy toward God leads us to believe that we can cut our lives up into carefully controlled slices 
and those slices have no bleed over to one another. Let me, it's okay. I know it's supposed to be celebration weekend, but it could get tight in here. All right. Did you expect anything else? One of these days, I'm going to preach a nice, friendly message again, but not this week. All right. Not this month. Um, Here's how it works. We come to church every Sunday, and we read our Bibles, and in our cars, we listen to Christian praise and worship music. But because this principality is effective in our life, that part of our life has no bearing on any other aspect of our life. So I can come to church week after week, I can hear the word, I can read the word myself, I can involve myself in praise and worship, but when somebody does me wrong, that part of my life has no bearing on my attitude towards the person that did me wrong. I knew it was going to be really, really quiet, I understand. The, our spiritual slice, this is just what we do on Sundays. Our spiritual slice has no bearing on our social slice. Okay. So we can do things socially that contradict the standards that we're called to by our spiritual slice. And we not only can we do it, we can do it with no guilt, no shame, and we never stop to think about the hypocrisy that it presents to those around us that are aware of our spiritual slice, but then they see our social slice and it has no bearing on one another. And they go, well, they don't even live what they talk about on Sunday and it never bothers us. Okay, I can't get no, I guess y'all shouted Jonathan down and he got no shouts left from me. Uh, all right. so, so this is what happens. We can lie when it's convenient. No problem with lying. Everybody lies. Never remembering that the scripture says that there's one who's called the father of lies. So when we lie, we are operating and cooperating with the one that produces. Okay. Uh, We can cheat when it's convenient. Never stop and think. Never let our spiritual slice have anything or any bearing to do with the rest of our life. The spiritual then becomes this. The the spiritual is a segmented slice that has no impact on our business practices. It has no impact on our entertainment choices. It has no impact or, or, or value in our dating life or vice versa. They just all separated into little segments, little slivers, little slices. We keep them all. There's clearly defined lives. This is how I act on Sunday. This is how I act at work on Monday. This is how I act on Sunday. This is where I go on Friday night. Okay, all right. Y'all not going to like me today. Our spirit man is confined to spiritual matters, and we will not allow the spirit to have any rule or any reign over any other areas of my life. So we can stand up on Sunday and sing, give my life away to him, but then I take my life back on Friday night because I want to have a good time. We are... We struggle with this because we are part of a democracy rather than a monarchy. And so what happens is I don't think we understand the concept of throne. Uh, we, We talk about the throne of God, but because we are not accustomed to honoring a king or serving a king or answering to a king in our society, then we struggle to appreciate the concept of enthroning a king. Uh, we, if we're going to battle the principality of compartmentalism and we're going to defeat it, then we need to come back to a revelation 
that we are a part, although we live here, we are citizens in a different kingdom. And because we are citizens in a different kingdom, that kingdom has a king. Okay, I'm going to tell you some things about our king. We answer to that king. I need to tell you something about the king. No one voted him in. No one can vote him out. No one picked him. No one appointed him. Nobody can buy him. Nobody can, can, can uh, uh, give him a, a few dollars behind the scenes to get him to change his opinion. He is the king. He is the king. He is the king. No one can stand up to his power. No one can overthrow him. He is not a king. He is the king. The king. And since we answer to the king, we must also understand the implication of the throne of the king. I bring this to your attention because I think Jesus, uh, I, I think that maybe at times Jesus feels like we're playing games that we used to play when we were children. Okay, you either played this game or you were a victim of this game. There's no, there was no, okay, all right, all right. It, it works like this. Y'all remember this game? You would get your friends distracted and you would probably cooperate with somebody. It, it was always a, a cooperation going on, like, like five principalities working together. Uh, okay, uh, a cooperation would take place and I would get you distracted up here talking to you and then it was time for the teacher to tell you to sit down and you would about get ready to sit down and the guy in the back that was in on it would pull the chair. Y'all remember that one? And you would fall back and roll backwards and your feet would go up and we would all have a, a good laugh at your expense. I am convinced that, that we have an issue and that issue is that we come to church and we talk and we sing and we even pray using the language of the kingdom. We sing about uh, the Lord. We sing, we, we, we say the word king. We throw words around like sovereign. Okay. And then so we, we say it on Sunday and we sing it in a song. So Jesus hears us singing and talking and communicating, I'm blessed of the Lord. Lord, he's sovereign over my life. I give myself away. And he hears us talking about that. And so he positions himself on the throne, not of church, of our life. And he positions himself to take a seat on the throne the only dilemma is, is that we sing and talk about the language of the kingdom on Sunday, but on Monday, just about the time that he wants to sit on the throne of our life, we pull the chair. We pull the chair, and we take control. We rule and reign. We only allow Jesus to sit on the areas of our life where we are convinced there will be blessing and protection. And then what happens is when Jesus wants to wade into an area of our life and he's not wanting, he, the end game is protection and the end game is blessing, but he first must offer correction, we unseat him. We are playing a game 
of thrones. So this morning I want to start this thing off by talking to you about the importance of a throne. I want to take you into Isaiah, and it's a familiar passage of Scripture. It's Isaiah chapter 6. It's uh, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you in one version and then read uh, just just the first verse in a different version. But listen listen to this. Listen to what happens. It says, In the same year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a grand throne way up high with a flowing cape that filled the whole temple. Bright flaming creatures waited on him. Each had six wings, two covering its face, two covering its feet, and two for flying. And like some fiery choir, they would call back and forth continually. Flaming creatures, holy, holy, holy is the eternal, the commander of heavenly armies. The earth is filled with his glorious presence. They were so loud that the door frame shook and the holy house kept filling with smoke. If you don't like smoke machines here, you're not going to like heaven. That was extra. Just saying. I'll just leave that there for your consideration. But they would circle his throne. I heard one guy say it like this. This is not even in my notes. I just think you probably need to get this revelation. It's these creatures circle his throne and 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 for all of eternity they they look at him and they go, holy, 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 holy. And and, and the guy said, Can't they come up with anything else to say? Is their vocabulary that limited? And he said this, he said, I think what takes place is as they circle him and they see a new facet of who he is, it's just another level, another layer of his holiness. And he's good because he's holy. And he's fair because he's holy. And he provides peace because he's holy. And he gives us joy because he's holy. And he's righteous because he's holy. And so they circle him. But, but, but I want you to listen to verse 1 again. Listen to what it says. In the year of King Uzziah, I saw the sovereign master seated on a high, elevated throne. Many of you are familiar with this passage. It's the call of Isaiah to become a prophet to the nation of Israel. His call is birthed out of a vision that he has of God. I want to draw your attention not necessarily to his call, although if you can ever see God the way we're supposed to see God, a call will follow. but but I want to draw your attention to how he sees God. He sees God this way. He's high and lifted up on a grand throne, way up high. The other verse says, he's on a high and an elevated throne. I think that's important because we need to understand that in the Hebrew, the word throne carries with it this idea of elevation. It's the concept, that's why in Solomon's temple, when they constructed Solomon's temple, one of the things they did when they, when they built the approach to Solomon's throne, there are six steps that you had to ascend to get to the king. Oh, y'all missed it. To enthrone Jesus, we must elevate Jesus. See, we don't even we can't we don't even comprehend. To enthrone him requires that we elevate him. We elevate Jesus in esteem. He's not common. He's not the good old boy. He's not the man upstairs. He's not my bro. He's 
Okay. He's not my homeboy. I know it sells t-shirts, but that's not who he is. He is the high and lifted up king. We esteem him differently. Boy, I can't get enough. We elevate him in our concept of dominion. We elevate him in authority. If we're going to quit pulling the chair on Jesus, then we must reevaluate who he is so that we can re-elevate him to the throne of our entire life. We have got to come back to this concept that he is high and lifted up. High and lifted up. Nobody compares. See, I, I think if our submission is not complete, then our surrender is not complete. You've heard this statement. We've heard it so often that we now we amen it. We don't even think about what it, what it really means. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We hear that, but we don't know what the implications are. We don't even think about the implications that that requires us to elevate him. Okay. See, I think our struggle with surrender finds its origin in our de-elevation of Jesus which then, if I de-elevate him, it then means I can devalue him. We, we unseat him because we are no longer committed to the idea that he has the ability, the knowledge, or the authority to dress any and every area of my life, not just my church life. His opinion matters at church. Can I get an amen? I mean, I want to do church like Jesus said to do church, right? Okay, that's great. But if we are not careful, we only elevate his opinion at church. Okay. Man, I'm, I'm, this is not how you win friends and influence people, I'm afraid, but... So what that means then is I can come in here and I can call him Lord and I can, I can prescribe to his opinions about what is worship and what's not worship and, 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 and what's praise and what's not praise. But if I don't elevate him so that I enthrone him, then his opinions don't matter about business. In fact, if I have to choose, I will take Warren Buffett's opinion over Jesus' opinion any day. That's how we operate. So now I can do business any way I need to. I can scheme. I can lie. I cannot fill out the forms I'm supposed to fill it. I cannot clock in like I'm supposed to. I can play games on my computer when I'm supposed to be working for you because Jesus' opinion has no bearing on my life except at church. Okay? He's no longer relevant to our dating life. So now I, I have elevated the esteem of dear Abby or cousin Susie, or Oprah. So that now what happens is this. Jesus says, if he's on the throne of our life and we're not pulling the chair, Jesus says that I cannot, he decrees, you cannot be yoked to an unbeliever. But if Aunt Susie says, but did you see how cute he is? Did you see the car they got out of? I go, you know what, Jesus? I don't like your opinion, and your opinion does not matter. Uh, okay, I knew, I knew, okay. 
He no longer has influence or elevated authority over our entertainment choices. Oh, my. Oh, my. So now what happens is this. If, if it gets two thumbs up, I guess it's now just one thumb up because one of them died, but it used to be Cisco and Ebert. But now if they get two thumbs up, uh, then that determines what's acceptable art for me. If all my friends who are claiming to have Jesus on the throne in their life go and watch something, it doesn't really matter that on the description that they play that, the, that, that society puts on it and says graphic nudity, graphic violence, pervasive language. We go, well, my friend said it was okay on Facebook. They went and watched it, and they go to the same church I go to, and they worship like I worship on Sunday morning. So I know, Jesus, you, you said think on good and pure but they said it's okay, so their opinion overrules your Man, it is. That's why I can listen to anything I want to listen to, watch anything I want to watch to, lay down the money, go to anything I want to, because it's art and it's acceptable by society. And Jesus is going, veto, 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 walk out. And we're going, no, Jesus, get back at church. I'll see you on Sunday. Okay, I'm preaching. We haven't elevated him. We say he is on the throne, but we treat him as if he is just one voice rather than the voice. He's just one opinion that we work in. And, and, we, and then when the opinion that he gives us comes in, we, we send it to the segmented slice of Sunday morning. We must elevate him. Let me tell you about him. His word is the word. Okay. When we read, when we discover, when we sense the word of God, that must be taken as the word of the king. His will must be received as the will of the king. His opinion must trump everybody else's opinion. Everybody else's opinion. In fact, nobody else's opinion even comes in a second, close second. I elevate his opinion to the highest level. In fact, his command overrules and overrides our feelings or our preferences. His word on a matter means more than any majority. His decree ends all debate. So I'd submit to you that what that means then is then the reason that divorce is rampant in the church is because the citizens of the kingdom have tried to take the throne. My word, here's the throne. I got married. Now I don't like you. Excuse me, Jesus. I need you to move a little bit because we ain't working this thing out. Slide over. I'll, I'll rule on this one. We take the throne. Worry and fear are epidemic in the body of Christ because we have taken the throne. Anger and bitterness have become our calling cards because we have taken the throne. Overcoming, now, when, when I talk to people about overcoming, whether it be overcoming addiction, whether it be coming, uh, overcoming financial woes, any type of overcoming, now we talk about overcoming as if it's some fantasy out there. 
It doesn't even feel like a reality, even a possibility anymore. You know why? We've taken the throne. That's why. We've played a game of thrones. We have unseated him by de-elevating him and by elevating our own wisdom and our own feelings and our own choices and our own rights. And so now we operate out of our own strength. And so the result is this. Catch this. Our king is in exile. And we are living in the results of our own reign. There is a usurper sitting on the throne of our lives. And the usurper is us because we think we can do it better than him. If we are going to see relationships restored, if we are going to see worry and fear abandoned, if we are going to see anger and bitterness broken, if we are going to see a, a, a body of people uh, overthrow and, and overcome, the only way that takes place is for us to get our hind parts off of a chair that was never meant for us. And let him rule. We must elevate him again. The second thing I want you to understand is that when we start talking about lordship, because that's what we're talking about, lordship, lordship requires removal of all limits. Do you understand? We don't understand. I, I struggle with this. If we really understood the difference between a democracy and a monarchy, then we would know that where a monarch uh, where where a democracy limits the reach of government a monarch style of government throws all limits off okay so a monarch owns it all you can only have what you have at the decree and the allowance of the king we know that in theory let me prove it i i'm a, I'm setting you up, all right? This float like a butterfly. Okay, I'm setting you up. Just go with me. Don't, don't, don't fight me on this. Just go with me because you know this. You know this in theory. Every good and perfect gift comes from, or tell me the scripture, come on, from heaven above, right? So in theory, we know that what we have comes from him. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our Okay, all right. But when you, when, you, when you talk about having a king on the throne, then you must also embrace the idea that the king owns it all. That means there are no areas of the kingdom that don't belong to the king. The land you live on isn't your land. It's the king's. The cows you own. I know not. Make sure. Okay. Uh, come on, connect the dots. I know that we don't call them cows. We call them cars, and we call them houses, and we call them kids, and we call them insurance policies, and we call them 401ks, and we call them vacation plans, and we call them summer plans, and we call them. The king owns it all. As Americans, this is what we want to do. I think most of us anyway want to do this. Not well. That's what I've been seeing on TV. Maybe not all of us, but most of you sitting in this room, let's put it this way, want to limit the reach of government. I want government jacking with me. I don't want to pay them any more taxes than I'm supposed to pay them. I can't get no help. All right, y'all pay all the taxes you want. I, I don't want them choosing my doctors. 
okay, okay. All right. I'm, but as the citizens first, y'all do know we don't, we are first citizens in a different kingdom. I know we're American, but we're citizens of this kingdom before we're citizens of, the, of America. We get the two confused sometimes. We want to substitute patriotism for worship, and it's not the same. All right? But as citizens of a monarchy, there is no limit to its reach. There are no boundaries. All limits are lost. We get in trouble and we become comfortable with compartmentalization because we think his kingdom operates like our kingdom. But true surrender means allowing the Lord to establish lordship. And lordship requires removal of all limits. All limits. There, this means there's no corner in the kingdom where he doesn't have access. There is no part of my life that not only doesn't not only doesn't he have access to, but there can be no area of my life that he doesn't have veto rights. Veto rights over my desires, my feelings, and my choices. We want to compartmentalize it and say, I'll let you help me on these choices, but I'll handle these. As Lord, his standards are the standards that I adhere to, even if the standards of the society that I live in don't like the standards that my king dictates. I am concerned. I don't know, most of you probably realize this now, but we have a generation that through a process, and I don't understand the entire process, I just know what's happened. I've seen it happen in my day, in my lifetime. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. Boy, that, sounds, that makes me sound old. I used to hear the old folks say that. Maybe I'm getting old. I never thought I would see this happen in my lifetime. But we literally have a generation that has made their feelings God. So now, if I don't like the way this feels, then I expect God's word to conform to what I feel. And if it doesn't, I'll just slice that part out and get rid of it. Because it doesn't match up to how I feel. I feel like loving. I feel like living. I feel like doing. And I'm still a Christian. Don't worry. I go to church on Sunday. Even though it flies into the face, right in the face of Scripture, black and white. Flies in the face of thousands of years of vetted tradition. Not all tradition is bad, y'all. There are some traditions that are holy and they were picked and chosen because they knew then that it produced destruction if you go against it. Those are called fences. Fences are boundaries, guardrails to keep you protected. I just feel like God would understand how I feel. Sure, God don't care about how you feel. 
just because you want to do something. He's not committed to your feelings. He's committed to your character. He's committed to your purpose. He's committed to your protection. He's committed to your blessing. And so you cannot try to force your feelings on God. Because I've discovered something. Feelings lie. Don't they? Y'all ever wake up? Just, I don't know, maybe ate too much pizza last night. I don't know. You wake up and I just don't feel like a Christian. Ever feel like that? Man, I don't, there's some mornings. Y'all lucky y'all don't call me in the mornings. <laughs> I don't feel like being saved. I don't feel like being nice. Y'all don't know about me. Y'all don't know. See, y'all see that. I'm going to tell my own family. Y'all see the Ely on Sunday. You don't see the Manning. Right, Mama? Mama's, mama's a Manning. Manning's a cut you. <laughs> in a minute. I'm in a constant. Y'all don't even know. See, I, I, I don't need a throne. I need a couch. Give me a couch. I, I, I'm in this constant, I'm in this constant state of, of, of war on the inside of me. God help me because I, I want to love you, but I'd sure like to cut you about right now. There are days I don't feel like it. My feelings have no bearing. My feelings don't put limits on the rain of Jesus. Over my, I submitted my life to Jesus when I was a kid. I, made, I said, Jesus, you're Lord. And either I'm playing games with him and pulling the chair, or I really mean it, and I've made him Lord. And if I've made him Lord, then you veto my feelings, whether I like it or not. Who's Lord in your life? I realize that if we allow him to be Lord, then that also means that we have to go against what we feel sometimes, what we like sometimes, what we want to do sometimes. But if he is on the throne, then he has the right to every area of my life. I want to say something to you this morning. If you don't catch anything else, please catch this. I want to inform you because I think we got it twisted a little bit. I want you to understand that God will share your love. Oh, but he's a jealous God. God will share your love. He wants you to love your spouse. He wants you to love your parents. He wants you to love your kids. He wants you to love fellow men. He will share your love. Newsflash, God will even share your time. He wants you to involve yourself in life. If, if God wasn't willing to share your time, do you realize that we'd have to keep this place open 24 hours a day, make you stay in here because he's not going to share your time? Don't work. We'll just, like, we'll all go visit the pantry. Uh, we're just going to live right here. He wants you to be involved in life. He wants you to be involved in your family. He wants you to be involved in your work. He wants you to be involved in your community. He wants you to go to your kids' ball games. He wants you involved in life. He will share your time. He's willing to share your love, and he's willing to share your time. But you need to hear me this morning. He will not share the throne. A king not only deserves, catch this, we don't understand this. A king not only deserves, he demands throne 
There's times I wish Jesus was meaner than he is. Because I wished he would sit on the throne of my life and when I came to unseat him, he would go, Oh, please. You know. But Jesus operates like this. He sits on the throne of our life because he's all about us choosing. If we want to take the throne, he'll vacate the throne, but you won't like the result. I, I'm, I'm done. I, I just want to show you something. I, I just want to challenge some of you. Okay, this is, um, I'm being facetious because I really don't want you to do this, but let me just play like I'm being real. Go ahead, fight God. Go for it. Fight him, resist him, uh, wrestle with him. We, uh, you might want to read some scripture about that a little bit. But, uh, uh, plan a coup, overthrow him. Let me take you back to a passage of scripture and then I'll be done. Revelation chapter 5 verse 13. I just want you to see this. Y'all do know Revelation is the last book. Okay, just make sure. I'm going to make sure we're all on the same page. This isn't like the first book. This is like the last one. Final, final days. Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all. Y'all remember what all means in Greek, right? All. And all that is in them. Saying. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So I, I just wanted to draw your attention. Fight him if you will. Resist him if you've got the guts to do so. Wrestle with him if you're man enough. Try to throw a coup. But in the end, when it's all said and done, He's going to be on the throne. In fact, Scripture says like this, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, so I've learned in life that the, the wisest way to live is to keep the end in mind. People get in trouble when they don't think long term and don't keep the end in mind, right? So if the, the wisest way to live is with the end in mind, if the end is he's going to get on the throne, whether I like it or not, whether I voted him in or not, then it might be wise if he's going to end up there to just make my mind up today if he's going to end up there anyway. I might want to give the throne to the one who's already going to be on the throne now. Why go through the pain? Why go through the suffering? Why go through the ramifications and the repercussions of doing it your own way? Why not instead go, you know what? I'm going to quit pulling the chair, and I'm going to, I'm going to elevate you. And when you, when you offer an opinion through, through your word, and arguments are over. When I've got decisions to make in my life, I'm going to choose your opinion. When, when my feelings don't line up with your word, I'm going to choose the word. It's going to hurt. 
are on the throne. Your lordship removes all limits. So now I can't just come and have a church life and a business life and a social life and a business life. I just got kingdom life. And your rule and your reign is complete. So here's my question for you today before we pray. Is there one area of your life in which you act like king? unseated him. If there is, you've pulled the chair. And he will vacate. But I'm asking you this morning to elevate him again and to make him Lord again. I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you sit down and I'm going to pray because I'm going to ask you to stand up at the end and come to the altar. I don't feel like it. No. But I'm doing pretty good on my own. There is a way that seems right unto a man. And it leads to destruction. Father, this morning, consider our own life. I, Lord, I can't make you Lord for Tari. God, I can't put you on the throne of Keith's life. God, I, I don't have the ability to enthrone you on Kristen's life. each have to come to grips with the decision in our own lives. We don't this is the the paradox, the, the, the contradiction. We don't determine that you are the king but we make the choice this is crazy. You're going to be the king whether we select you or not. But we we have you've given us the right. I don't there are days I wish you hadn't but you give us the right to submit to that kingship. God, I pray for us, each of us, myself included, if there's any area of our life that we act like king, I pray this morning that we would elevate you again. We would elevate your opinion over everybody else's opinion. We would elevate you in esteem again. We would elevate you in dominion again. We would elevate you in authority again. We would elevate you to the throne. And that elevation would bleed over into every part of my life. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. As Kim plays and 
John sings and April sings, would you just, I, I know it's old-fashioned, but maybe come to the altar and spend some time and say, well, I'm uncomfortable down that way. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but I think we need to find a place and we need to, each of us need to reevaluate his lordship and his kingship and his position in our life and let him, even in this moment, overrule, override, and veto whatever we need him to override, overrule, and veto. Would you find a place this morning and spend some time? It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.